Anthony McFarlane. My name is Wendy Neal, and I am the senior associate pastor here, and it is so good to be worshiping with you today where we proclaim that this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Our mission is changing lives that change the world, and we do that through worship, discipleship, mission, and care. And we look to Jesus to be more like Jesus. Pastor Rockford is on vacation this weekend, and so the Love Examine series did not meet today, but will resume next Sunday. Also, just a reminder that the church is closed tomorrow, and so we hope that all of you who are here in person or who are worshiping online are having a wonderful holiday weekend. We are glad that you have made worship a part of it. Um, let us know that you're here by filling out the registration pads or by clicking the button online that says connect. Uh, if you are new, uh, you can visit with a member of our hospitality team or with me after the service. We'll be back in the chapel in the back of the sanctuary. I would love to be able to get to know you, uh, answer any questions you might have, and we have a gift bag that we would like to give you as our way of saying thank you for being here. And uh, we are so excited to be hosting the Norman Philharmonic next Sunday on September 11th, right here in the sanctuary at 3 p.m. This is a remembrance concert honoring the 21st anniversary of 9-11. And of course, the Norman Phil is led by Dr. Zelensky. And so what a blessing this will be for all of us. Invite someone to come and you will enjoy a wonderful afternoon of music. We have a great worship service today. We continue to hear Paul's words about what love is and what it is not in our sermon series. And so let's join together in standing and singing our opening hymn, number 98, together.
morning. Let us join together in professing the story of God's love as contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. join our hearts in prayer together and let us pray. O holy God whose message to us has always been that our relationship to you is inextricably related to how we treat our sisters and our brothers. Bend low your spirit this day and touch us with your power. God give us a consistent kindness and compassion for others. Keep us always tender-hearted, even when the world delivers difficult blows and setbacks to us. God, teach us once again about your redeeming grace in order that we can learn, however slowly, however tentatively, how to forgive others. And God, teach us how to live abundantly into the future as victorious and expectant people greeting each new day with eagerness and excitement. And remind us that we are among your forgiven and your beloved community. God, we present to you all who have special need of your grace today, and we lift them up to you in our hearts. Keep them in your gracious care. And as we are able, God, use us to make their burdens lighter. God, be with all of those who are suffering, and we ask that you would grant to us a peaceful world. And we pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stand and join us in singing hymn 618. Let us break bread together. 618.
I'm not quite sure who looks forward to a long Labor Day weekend more, adults or children. Our time of rest and renewal is extended by a day, and we celebrate every minute of it with much joy. As Christians, we know we can celebrate the gift of work. No matter what kind of work we do every day, in an office, in a hospital, outdoors, in the church, in the community, even at home, the work we do and the ability to do it is a gift from God and we praise and honor God with our work and through our work. Let us give our thanks and our tithes and offerings to God at this time. You may be seated.
Please be seated. The scripture reading this morning is from Ephesians 4:25 through 5:2. Listen now for the word of God. So then, put away falsehood. Let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God has forgiven you through Christ. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy God, we give you thanks for your word and for the way that you speak to us today. And so, God, we open our hearts and our minds and our lives to you, God, and we are ready to receive what it is you have for us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul ends that passage in Ephesians with some advice to walk in love. And as I thought about these words this past week, I have to admit that sometimes they sound overused and trivial because we use the word love to express our pleasure for so many different things. I know that just this weekend, I was telling my family how much I love our pets and how much I love chocolate and how much I love the Great British Baking Show, and how much I love them, and I love God. And we say these things so often, like walk in love or speak the truth in love, that they may go in one ear and write out the other so fast, that they don't always capture and lay hold of our hearts and our minds in any profound way. But thinking about Paul's words more deeply, I really feel like there is no wisdom that is more important or needed right now as we navigate this ever-increasingly angry and anxious world. So in 1947, W.H. Auden published his Pulitzer Prize-winning book called The Age of Anxiety. 
And the post-war in the 1940s and 1950s, if that was called the age of anxiety, then perhaps this age then should be called the age of high anxiety or extreme anxiety. I mean, we can hardly overstate the extent to which worry and anxiety and fear permeate our everyday lives. We worry about the future, about politics, about our health. We fear violent crime and racial divisions and the future of the economy. Deep rifts in our nation leave us with this increasing sense of uncertainty and our fears in the form of insecurity and anger. They often take a toll on our lives and on our personal relationships. And so Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing from his jail cell while his world seemed to be falling apart, he wanted to encourage the Ephesians to live a faithful way of life that was in danger of extinction even in his time. And he tells them, be angry, but do not sin. That's interesting. And then he says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. And then he tells them to walk in love. And if we know Ephesus, we know that it was this cosmopolitan trade city. It was a port where people from all over the world found rest and entertainment and all kinds of indulgences after they had been traveling on the sea. And so there is really no racially or economically diverse modern congregation today that had really anything on the church of Ephesus. Its diversity was apparently not just cause for celebration, but it was also the occasion of division and conflict. And so the world in which Paul lived and the Ephesians lived, it really was not all that different than the world that we live in when it comes to living with stress and temptation and uncertainty and division and disagreement. And Paul was deeply concerned about the spirit of the Christian community and whether they understood the depth and breadth of what it means to follow a crucified and a risen Lord and why it matters. Paul believes that we have a crucified Christ because we live in a crucified world. Paul knows that when real people live in real community with one another and with all of the stresses that come with life, they will discover real differences and will suffer real hurts. And this is true of all kinds of communities, couples, and families, and neighborhoods, and schools, and governments, and whole societies. It is not possible to love one another without hurting one another from time to time. But we also have a risen Lord, because we live in a world where there is always hope, there is always a chance for new life. There is always room where wounds can be healed. 
because God is a God who is always at work saving us from ourselves. You know, our reactions sometimes to the world we live in, like Paul names, bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander and malice, those are emotions that very few of us have ever been taught to manage so that they become a part of a healthy and balanced life and not part of an anxious life that feels out of control. Paul seems to know that these emotions, particularly anger, that these emotions and sin are different things. Be angry, but do not sin. These feelings don't have to lead to sin, is what he is saying, but they often do, which is why for so long we have been taught to bury these feelings rather than just acknowledge them and try to understand them and to learn how to not get rid of them because that is an impossible task, but how to manage them. You know, at that very basic level, anger and anxiety are what some call warning emotions, emergency emotions. They alert us to something that threatens us. Our safety, our loved ones, our home, our values, our self-worth. And when we feel threatened, predictable things start to happen in our bodies. Our blood pressure and our heart rate go up and our breathing can get really shallow and we start to sweat. Our bodies are preparing us to fight whatever threat exists or to run away or hide from it. it's It's not a choice or a decision, it's an innate response because all of our, all that our brain knows in that moment is that we are stressed. You know, I have learned from some wonderful doctors and teachers that underneath anger and anxiety is really fear. That's what's really going on. That we feel threatened and we're not so much angry or or anxious as we are afraid. We are afraid of what might happen, and we are afraid that we might not be able to hold off or stop that threat. But when we feel scared, it usually comes out as anger and irritability and resentment and anxiety and arguing and impatience and meanness. Every day I drive 235 to Norman and back, and that's pretty much my drive. That's how I feel. And here's another example. Let's say a classmate and you have decided to get together to study at 7 o'clock in the evening in the dorm lounge where you both live. And you're there about five minutes early um, just to to get ready. And when she doesn't show up at 7.30, you decide to pack up and go to your room to study where it's quiet. And you see 
the classmate the next day and she says, well, I went to the lounge last night, but you weren't there. And you say, well, I waited until 7.30 and I didn't see you. And she says, oh, oh no, I was eating dinner at that time. I came right after that. You want to get together tonight? You take a deep breath, then you decide to try again, and you say, sure, what time works for you? And she says, seven is good. Okay, see you at seven. Well, seven comes and goes, and no classmate. 7.15, no classmate. 7.30, no classmate. And just as you're packing up to go, she comes in at 7.45 and sees you packing up your stuff and seems confused. Well, I'm here. Are you leaving? Oh, no. And you try to say this while you're smiling through your red face. I'm just looking for my pencil. Let's get to studying. But you are way beyond irritated and resentful at this point. But it seems rude to say so. And so what you do instead is you save it up, and then you save it up again until one day your classmate arrives at her usual late time and you can't take it anymore. What? is the matter with you. You are so thoughtless. My time is as valuable as yours. And you know, I do have better things to do than wait here while you're doing whatever it is you're doing at seven o'clock. I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that. You don't have to raise your hand. You know, we can only bury our feelings for so long because eventually they are going to explode in one way or another, whether that is with our words or with our actions or by turning into an ulcer or a tension headache or something else. And so what are we to do? Well, you may be familiar with the name Edwin Friedman. He is a rabbi and a counselor and the author of a number of books, and he is the person who introduced the idea to the world of learning how to be a non-anxious presence. And he says in his book, Failure of Nerve, every experienced boater knows that when one is docking or pulling away from the dock, all efforts to try to overcome wind and current by simply trying harder generally do not work. Mother Nature wins most contests of will unless one has very great amounts of power at hand. He says experienced sailors have learned that far better than fighting those natural forces is to position oneself so that they will, in their own natural way, aid rather than frustrate one's intent. Trying to overcome emotions by burying them or willing ourselves to not feel them 
doesn't work. In order to be a non-anxious presence, he says that we must be rooted in our own sense of self rather than focused on things that are beyond our control. And another way of looking at it is that the key to being able to walk in love, to be kind to others, and tender-hearted while living in an increasingly stressful and anxious and angry world is to have a strong sense of who you are, what your values are, and what, ki what kind of person you want to be, but also to know whose you are, the values of Christ, and to know that you are God's beloved child. Being a non-anxious presence is about staying rooted in the values and ways of Christ, rooted in love, and not getting carried away by the anger and the irritability and the resentment and the worry and the meanness that is so prevalent in our communities. You can be angry, just do not sin. It also means taking responsibility for your emotions and the ways that you react to something that is happening around you rather than blaming everyone and everything for how you feel. And one of the most helpful strategies that I have learned for managing anxiety and anger is to not only own them, but to just try to discover why I feel them. I have learned to ask myself in those moments where I'm feeling angry or anxious, to ask, why am I feeling threatened? What is the threat? Is it real? Do I have all of the facts straight, all of the information that I need? And most important of all, where is God in all of this? Who does God want me to be in this moment? And I have learned to assume the best of others and to seek more information before reaching a conclusion. And perhaps if I had learned this 26 years ago, instead of unleashing on my classmates, I could have said, when we say 7 o'clock, I am thinking 7 o'clock right on the dot, and it upsets me that you don't get here until 7.45, and I feel like you don't care about me or don't value my time, and I believe that you're a caring person, so I'm confused. Can you help me understand what is happening? You know, if I had reacted in that way, I would have learned a lot sooner than I did about cultural differences and the way people from other cultures view time and the clock differently than how we do here in our mainstream American culture. 
because my classmate was from Venezuela and we were going to help each other with English and Spanish and she wasn't being rude or inconsiderate. She just didn't organize her life according to her watch. You know, if I had been able to be a non-anxious present, to be angry without sinning, I could have walked in love in that, own, in that moment by owning my own feelings of frustration and, and naming them and giving my classmate the benefit of the doubt and just taking the time to have a conversation. And I would have learned what was really going on and we could have actually become friends. But in that moment, I got caught up and carried away by my anger. And we never spoke again. You know, and that is a real shame because as Paul insists with the Ephesians, we are members of one another. All of us. Our lives are connected whether we want them to be or not. And whether we feel that we are connected or not. And so God has made us responsible to and for one another with our words and our actions. Paul tells us that we should speak with truth and with grace. And so saying whatever is on our mind when we're anxious or angry in whatever way we feel like in that moment does not help us get to the truth. And it is not full of grace. There are words that are harmful. Words that destroy the bond of peace and that poison the body of Christ. But there are also words that build up and bring clarity. Strengthening the bond of peace. The way to keep the body of Christ whole and healthy is to practice kindness, tenderheartedness, forgiveness, to walk in love. And these are no small things. These are powerful things. They are the only true antidotes for the toxicity of irritability and resentment that surrounds us today. So you may remember being told as a child by a parent or a teacher to count to 10 when you got angry, right? Count to 10. I think that's still pretty good advice, right? Not so that we have time to bury our feelings, but so that we have time to think about them and to get clear about them. Ask ourselves some questions. Because maybe if we can count to 10, by the end of that, we'll be able to own our own feelings and our fears and to talk about them in ways that people can really listen and hear. And maybe we can also listen to others and hear what they have to say without irritability and resentment. 
you know, and who knows, in doing so, if we can learn how to be this non-anxious presence in the midst of the chaos, we may even become, as Paul suggests, imitators of God. And so let us do our best. Let us pray. Holy God, we give you our thanks and our praise. You tell us that that true love casts out fear. And God, we are afraid of so many things, afraid for our health and, and for our lives, for our safety and security. And yet we know that with you, we have all that we need. And so God, let us be fearless in our kindness and let us be fearless in our tenderheartedness and let us be fearless in our forgiving and fearless in walking with love, even when it is challenging. And so God, we lift all of this up to you And we pray for your help and for your wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we prepare to come to the table of the Lord today, I would invite you to open your hymnals to page 12. Uh, We will follow along. And just a reminder as we get to the great Thanksgiving that our responses will be sung. And you can find those on page 17. Um, As always, you will come down the center aisles and receive the bread and the juice, and you can stay here and pray for as long as you would like. If you'd like to leave an offering for our Thursday Utilities Assistance Ministry, you are welcome to do so. I am very excited today to say that not only do we have the prepackaged elements available for those who want them, but we also have available the opportunity to take communion through intinction, which we have not done in this place for over two years. And so if you would like, you can receive a piece of bread and dip it into the cup uh, and take communion that way. Um, Everyone is welcome and invited at communion. And so let us all prepare our hearts and hear Christ's invitation. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. 
And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. On the night in which Jesus gave himself up for us, he took bread, broke the bread, gave thanks to God, and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, Jesus took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here. And on these gifts of bread and wine, make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. And now with the confidence of being children of God, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I'd like to invite the choir to come first and those in the balcony to make your way down. Everyone is welcome and invited. The table is set. You may come.
Let us pray. Eternal God, we give you thanks for this holy mystery in which you have given yourself to us. God, we pray that we would go into the world in the strength of your Spirit to give ourselves for others, to love our enemies, to be a good neighbor, and to live the life that you call us to live. And we pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. As we prepare to go forth today and to sing our closing hymn, I would just like to offer an invitation. If God has been at, at work on your heart this morning, and if you would like to say yes to God and say yes to McFarland by becoming a member of this church, you are welcome to come down here to the front towards the end of our hymn, and you can make that official, make a profession of faith or join the congregation. And so um, I'd like to invite you to stand to open your hymnals to our closing hymn, number 714, and let us sing together.
thrilled to introduce you to Janice Oak. She has been very active at McFarland, participating in line dancing and Alzheimer's support group and a mobile food pantry and food pantry. And so she is coming today to transfer her membership from First Christian Church. And so I have two questions for you. Uh, the first is, as a member of Christ Universal Church, will you be loyal to the United Methodist Church and do all in your power to strengthen its ministries? And as a member of McFarlane, will you be loyal to God and will you faithfully participate in its ministries by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness? I will. Awesome. Welcome. We are so glad that you have joined our church and congregation. Let us offer our welcome of Janice by sharing in our statement that's in the bulletin. We welcome you to McFarlane Memorial United Methodist Church. And with you, we renew our vows to uphold the church with our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. Uh, Janice will be in the back later today if you'd like to offer her a welcome. And Janice, we have a Wesley study Bible that we like to give everybody who joins the church because we believe that being in God's word is an important part of our journey of faith. And so we hope that you will Thank be you. in the word. Yes. And so let us go forth today remembering that, that being kind and tenderhearted and forgiving and walking in love are crucial and vital things that we can do. And our world needs that. They are no small or trivial things. They are the most powerful things that we can commit ourselves to every day. And so I pray that you will go in the power of God's Spirit to do so and that you will go in peace. Amen.